Have you ever looked at someone's life or another time period or a situation with a sense of envy? Does anyone ever kind of walk out the door and like, man, if I could just go back to 1982 or if I could just go back to the 50s or the 60s, 70s, whenever. I mean, like I remember I could ride my bike down the street as a kid and it wasn't like a scary proposition. Now, literally, going out your mailbox, you don't know if some creeper's got a drone or like a secret camera by like a gnome hidden in your yard, like spying on you. I mean, we, we live in a weird world where it can be really scary to, um, I, I, I don't even honestly want my wife going out at night by herself. Just my wife's beautiful five foot nothing and they're just creepers galore out there. And, uh, you know, she's been in situations before where it's just, like, been uncomfortable, and, and it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a weird place. And, and I think that, like, sometimes we, we look, and it's easy to look at days gone by or other people's situation, and, like, that um, scene in one of my favorite, uh, favorite movies, Napoleon Dynamite, do you remember when, like, Uncle Rico's selling them the Tupperware, and he pulls out the sailboat. He's like, if you buy this, this is included. And the wife's like, I want that. Like, it's easy to look at other people's lives and be like, I want that. Or it's easy to look at other situations and be like, you want that. And, and, and I think, like, sometimes I can just look at the world even the way it was when I was growing up in the 90s or even, like, the early 2000s and be like, this world is scary. I mean, I saw some horrifying stuff just turning on the news for five minutes yesterday. Made my head spin. Like, just the amount of murder the amount of filth and profanity and just fighting. It's just the indictments, the, you know, arresting a president's son, arresting a former president, the shooting in Nashville. I mean, and that's just in the last couple days. Every week, it's like we're, we're on this treadmill of like terror. I mean, I think of, you know, there's nuclear bomb talk now. You know, we thought the Cold War was over. There's scandals, kidnappings, inflation. And I think we realize the world's a powder keg and it's easy to look at some other things and be like, I want that, I don't want this. I want something else. I mean, our nation is really, it's an absolute cesspool. It's an absolute cesspool and it's sad, it's scary, it uh, can be very unnerving like Matt talked about, like the worry. And as I think about this and just been praying about, uh, about today, I've been thinking like, Lord, like what's, what do we do? It says, when the, when the foundations are shaken, what are the righteous to do? And I think a lot of us, what we wanna do is um, maybe we want to remain in our decadent perch and just hope that the bad times don't hit us. Maybe we'll just keep, continue stuffing away in our 401k or our savings and just hoping it's there at the end. And we hope maybe it doesn't touch us, doesn't touch our kids or our businesses, our families, our street, our church. I mean, what can we do? I don't think the answer is nothing. I don't think just wish it was another time is the answer. I think to just envy what other people have is not the answer. To just act like it's not changing is not the answer. 
It's not the answer. We can't just keep on same old, same old. We can't keep giving old answers to new questions. And I'm not saying that Jesus has changed or the gospel's changed, but the world is very complex. And so there are things that we're facing in our times that are unprecedented. If you've lived long enough, you, you know, if you've lived longer than 25 years, the world's changed a ton since you were born. The world you were born into is radically different than it's ever been. And I think that um, most of us, who, who, who would say, I wanna see things change in the world? Or does everyone think like the world's awesome? Anyone singing like some Louis Armstrong? What a wonderful world. I see trees, <laughs> friends shaking hands. You know, it's like, yeah, and there's still good things, but what a wonderful world. That's a freebie today. Um, I've broke that out in a long time. Um, but like, but the world needs, needs something different. The world needs a different class of Christian than it's gotten for the last long time. This country, um, we, there's only one way things are gonna change. There's only one way that things are gonna change, and the only way things are gonna change is if we change. The only way this is gonna get any better is if like, people, like, people that love Jesus are just gonna stop doing nothing are gonna stop blending in, are gonna stop just sticking to their schedules, just stop doing business as usual. The only way this changes is if we change. King David in, first, in 2 Samuel 24, verses 18 through 25, David is coming off of a series of a lot of things and David's near the end of his life and things have just been really hairy with his son Absalom and some other things going on. And King David is, um, he is uh, at this kind of precipice. And let's turn there to 2 Samuel chapter 24. And David, if we can get that, those verses up on the screen, David has just trying to take things into his own hands. David's trying to take a census. He tried to count all of his men. Like, what's wrong with the census? It's because basically David's whole kingdom had been defined by him trusting God. And then towards the end, he tells uh, uh, his general Joab to take a census. And David's like, and Joab's like, why, why are you doing this? He's like, and, and finally Joab acquiesces because he's the general, David's the king. But then the Lord strikes the land with a great plague. Strikes the land with a great plague. And I believe that in a lot of ways we can look at our country and we can look back at the last 80 years and we can see that um, in a sense that we came back from what was one of the most difficult, traitorous, gruesome times of human history and we came back and we took a census. That after World War II, the world came back and like retreated to the deck, left the, the front porch uh, societies that we had before that, and people just said, we're gonna do this on our own. We're gonna rebuild the world on our own. And some people took up the Cold War side, some people took up 
uh, like the democracy side. But I believe somewhere in our country we've lost our moorings and we're like, we're going to do this on our own. And here's what it says. Like, so there was just a, a plague that the Lord sent. And it says, David, that, that day Gad came to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of, uh, of like a ruin of the Jebusite. So David went to do that, uh, that thing which, David went to do that thing which the Lord commanded him. And, and uh, when Aruna saw the king and his men coming towards him, he came down and bowed before the king with his face to the ground and said, why have you come here, my lord, the king? David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and build an altar to the Lord there, so he will stop the plague. Take it, the Lord my king, and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. You can use the threshing floor, the, the, the fleshing, threshing boards, the ox yokes, and the wood to build a fire on the altar. I give it all to you, your majesty. May the Lord God accept your sacrifice. But the king but the king replied to Aruna, no, I, uns- I insist on buying it. I will not give an offering that costs me nothing. So David paid him f- 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague of Israel was stopped. I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we, we go to church and we do these things and we look for people like Lucas or Steve or Amber or myself even like, hey, we're gonna go to church and hope the pastor does it for us. We hear of prayer in the mornings and that sounds really good. Well, I'm, I'm part of a church that prays all the time, but I don't really have it in me to wake up at 6.30 and jump in on Zoom. Or how about 5 a.m.? Or that we have worship nights. Those are great, but we're like, hey, it's great to go to a church that prays, but then we ourselves don't participate. We want, we want to offer a sacrifice that costs us nothing. We want to take credit. We want to reap the benefits. We want to live in a better world, but we don't want to do what it takes to change it. And I would say that the Lord would say to all of us today, are, are, you, are you giving a sacrifice that costs you nothing? Because I think a lot of people, even if we're honest, we go to church when it's convenient. Well, we can watch it online. We can tune in to these things like, like when we want, because I would rather sleep in or I'd rather come into worship when I want to. I'd rather treat church, or I'd rather treat these things of the Lord like it's really not a big deal. I'll come in when I want to on my time, but David says, no. He says, no, baby, no, I will not give something that costs me nothing. You might say, how do these things, how how does this align with where you started? Well, we want a different world. We want to change, but then we don't, we're not willing to change. We'd rather take the prayers of other people or the discipleship of other people or even people who tithe here. We'll, we'll take the tithes of other people and we'll just show up and get our thing. And it costs us nothing. And I would say, if we wanna be a church, if we wanna be a people in the time where we live to see real change, that we've gotta get back to that heart of David. It says David was a man after God's own heart. David would not give something that cost him nothing. And I'm gonna tell you, the cost 
If you want to know how the world changed, I'm going to give you an answer today. You might say, that's really arrogant. That's really bold. It it is bold, but it's not arrogant because I'm not changing it. Jesus is the only one who can stop the plague going on in our country. The Lord is the only one who can stop the plagues going on in your family. The Lord is the only one who can heal generational brokenness in your family. And like David, it's, it's kind of a three-part process. We give ourselves to the thing. So that means to give ourselves to something, we can't give ourselves to something else. We invest with our time, talent, and treasure, and then we pray our butts off and we pray our guts out and say, Holy Spirit, come. We need you to show up to stop this thing because we're powerless without you. That's the answer. That's the answer. Our country is in a bad place. And if we're just gonna come to church and do business, business as usual, I want you to know it won't cut it. It won't cut it. It won't. COVID was just the beginning. There are dark powers at work in our world. There are things going on. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not. There are things that we can't see and there is an enemy that's at work and he is dialing up our culture with the filth, with the greed, with the lust, with the perversion, with the subterfuge. He is dialing it up and our only hope is to get eyes that see. Our only hope is to get ears that hear. Our only hope is to draw on his power because listen, if we just try to blend, there's no blend of this thing. We will either be radically different or we'll just get swept away with the tide. That's all it is. And that might sound heavy, but it's, it, it's meant to because what we're up against is, it's, it's too much. It's too much, there's too much brokenness. Let alone in our country or in Cincinnati, but just in Florence, y'all. Like there is so much bustedness. There's so much need and people need Jesus. And so I'm asking, are you gonna just keep doing business as usual? Jesus tells about a man who's building a tower. He says, for which one of you, if he wants to build a tower, does not sit down first and calculate the cost, see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he laid a foundation, not able to finish, all who observe him begin to ridicule him, saying, the man began to build but wasn't able to finish. I think that's where we are in our culture, is we had, we had early fathers and mothers in the church in this country who laid a good foundation, but, those, but their predecessors haven't been willing to pay to finish the project. We've wanted to go to church attendance, and we've, wanted, we've made our metrics in the ministry nickels and noses. Did they come and did they give a buck? And we've just cheapened the gospel to a prayer. I don't see the sinner's prayer anywhere in the Bible. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but it's not, it's like, like Jesus, the, the Bible says way more about sanctification than it does about salvation. Salvation is the cost of discipleship. It's the cost of following Jesus. Like salvation is the free gift that, that we, can, uh, we can become one with him again. But sanctification is that you gave your life for me. Here I give you mine each step of the way. I won't give you something that costs me nothing, Lord. But we've just cheapened it. And I'm not talking about a works-based faith. We're not working to get to heaven. We're working because heaven got to us. So, so the motivation's different. 
And when a nation reaches a point of no return, I believe the Lord raises up an Elijah, a person who's driven by conscience of heart to combat the darkness. Will you be that Elijah? Will you be that person that says, I'm not doing it anymore? The American dream is not the dream of heaven, friends. We've been duped. We've been seduced by a lie that sounded like the gospel. We've been seduced to just think that like, we can have our best life now and it'll all be hunky-dory. And heaven will just be a continuum of what happened in the 21st century. We treat it like greed. Like, and it's really greed shrouded as, um, well, we really want our kids to have it better than us. We really want them to, because the best like they can have is like really nice cars, really nice vacations, really nice houses. All these things are the dream and, and we think that that's like what's gonna make our country better and we keep looking. We've got bigger and bigger and bigger but we've not got better and better and better. So maybe we're looking at the solution with the wrong set of eyes. I'm not saying a house is wrong. I'm not saying cars are wrong. I'm not saying some savings is wrong. But we've, we've, we've put all of our eggs in the basket of hope that somehow that like if we insulate ourselves enough, it'll keep us from the coming storm. And we've bought it hook, line, and sinker. And most churches just build bigger barns. They build bigger sanctuaries. They build bigger buildings and we know what Jesus says about that. I think if we're going to go about this God's way, we're gonna to have to look at things a little differently. And the gospel talks about suffering as if it's a, it's a blessing. It talks about giving up as if it's victory. It talks about loss as if it's gain. It talks about death as if it's life. It talks about brokenness as if somehow it leads to completeness. And it talks about standing our ground in love in the face of hate and somehow that's where, that's where beauty comes from. And I, I think the thing that's gonna change our hearts, the thing that's gonna change our lives is to the point of which we're willing to surrender. Because the gospel is about surrender. It's about surrender. That victory is actually found in surrender. This whole thing's upside down. Will you be an Elijah in our time? What was Elijah like? What was David like? These were men who were radically committed, who would do things that other people wouldn't for God's honor. They were zealous for God's honor above their own gain. Because David, David, David could have said, oh, this is great, man. This guy's gonna do all this for me. I don't have to spend the several thousand dollars it would cost me to do this. This is awesome. No, David's like, I'm not gonna give something that costs me nothing. And the thing that we see that mark the ministry of the people God seemed to be most in touch with and most pleased with, the Abraham, the Moses, the Elijahs, and the David, these were people that got on their face and sought God's will and sought God's desires above their own plan or above their own satisfaction. 
Our nation's at a tipping point. Our nation's in a rough place, and I know this is a lot, but will you be a person who steps up and says, here I am, send me. I'll go. I'll live differently. I'll pray differently. I'll give differently. I'll offer my life differently. Several years ago, um, going back to World War II, like the, the world was at war still. Communism was expanding. Uh, like democracy was trying to hold its ground. But it actually seemed like, like communism was like spreading faster than anything else. And so there was a war. And some of you might have been in a war there or had parents or grandparents in a war. There was a war between North Korea and South Korea. This was a country in uh, like uh, North Korea borders Russia or the Soviet Union then. And, and South Korea just kind of dangles as free. It was one country, but they, there was forces at work fighting for this like grand little peninsula that um, would be free or not free. And we look at the influence that atheism, uh, communism's had on North Korea. The little hermit nation is one of the craziest places in the world. There's starvation, there's death, there's mass murder, there's genocide, um, unmatched. And we don't really know because it's, it's held so tight in a little vice. And we've seen places like this. We've seen places uh, like in Germany where Germany had the East and West where it used to be one unified country. And communism came this far, democracy came this far, and they just built walls. And so there was a war. And uh, like South Korea was a destitute place. It was a destitute place. A lot of the resources were stripped, it was maimed, there was a battleground, and they were in a bad place. So they took um, some of the things from like America that we deposited there were some of the means of making money, of banking, of um, kind of, a new ideation on like family and economy and Jesus. A lot, of, a lot of Americans in the 50s and 60s went there to do missions and brought the gospel there. And then 50 years ago, a guy you might've heard of, Billy Graham. Billy Graham. He, he went and um, preached the gospel and Billy had um, what, from then until now, was the largest crusade in his history, three million people came. Three million people came, which is incredible. 75,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. And what we have now is the 10th biggest economy on a little peninsula in the world. We have a radically free country, and we have two of the five biggest churches on the planet. There's a, ch there's a church in South Korea, Paul Yonggi Cho, who passed away uh, not too long ago, a church of 800,000 people. 800,000. Not 800, 800,000, almost a million. You take all of Hamilton County, and then you had Claremont County, and you have Paul Yonggi Cho's church. Or you take all the people in Northern Kentucky and you add a couple hundred thousand more and you have this church. 800,000. And there's another church of about 400,000, 300,000. But um, our brothers and sisters over there in North, I mean, uh, South Korea um, 
are a praying church. You've never seen people that pray with the fervency or the passion that these people do. And one of the things that they've come to is they realize that America's in trouble. And so they got together, some of their um, most well-known churches, and they said, we need to send prayer intercessors to the United States. We need to send people who will just pray because obviously these people, something's not happening. There's a disconnect somewhere. And some of their intercessors just agreed. They're like, and they're like, well, we'll send you. They sent people here for a whole year. They've sent 400 intercessors. But these intercessors said, no, you will not send us. We won't give something that costs us nothing. We'll pay our own way. We'll, a lot of these people left their jobs, left their families to come to our country for an entire year just to pray. They paid their own way. They came here for a year just to pray. And what, um, what's happening is in this season now, we were one of the cities, so they selected 40, like they prayed about 40 cities in the country of where they were supposed to go that they felt were like the hot spots or the cesspools. And so Cincinnati, the city would sin in its name twice. Imagine we were picked as a cesspool. So, um, but one of the things that they also selected too is they wanted to go places where they knew there were praying churches who would join them. And so, uh, and so a woman who's become a good friend of mine, Sue Lee Jin, she's a pastor up at um, Anderson Hills Church. Just one day, I just, I don't know why, I, I, I'd met Sue Lee years ago, but I didn't really know her well, but I just kept, feeling, kept hearing her name and I felt like I'm supposed to go introduce myself to Sue Lee Jin. Her church is like adjacent to our house, literally a couple hundred yards. And so I just walked over there one day, knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm Ryan. I felt like I was supposed to just come talk to you today. And we start talking, we start praying, and this is last fall, and so we start talking about stuff, and she's just asking us questions about our church, and, and um, she calls me back after that, and she says, hey, um, I don't wanna be, be presumptuous, but I get the feeling you guys pray. She said, I get the feeling that you guys have people over there that care, and she tells me about uh, like this Korean prayer project, Project Pray. And she says, would, they've, they've asked, um, I, I've asked if Cincinnati could be a site. And part of what they like hung on was they said, yeah, and they, and, and they wanted, but they wanted a church in Northern Kentucky, then they wanted churches in Cincinnati. And that was kind of like the linchpin. She said, I've been praying for a church like in Northern Kentucky. And so here I could just come introduce myself. And, um, and so, we've been identified as a city that they're gonna come to. And so what's happening is these people are coming here in four weeks. And what's gonna happen for the whole week, the National Day of Prayer, is we're gonna just pray our guts out. We're gonna be a host site in the morning for Northern Kentucky. From nine to 11, they're gonna come and we're gonna pray. And then we're gonna go somewhere else and we're gonna pray. And then go somewhere else and we're gonna pray. And 40 of these intercessors are just basically coming and we're gonna pray kind of around the clock for our city. Because we believe as churches, we've had so many coalitions, so many chances, so many opportunities, and nothing's really changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. And we believe that God has not forsaken us. We believe that there are plagues. I believe God's hand has been against our country. I believe that. Or maybe he just lifted his hand again off our country. However you wanna see it, I don't believe that you know, people say, oh, 
oh, like we're a Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation, friends. We're a nation that 27% of people go to church. And a Barna, a Barna poll said only 64% of the people that go to church believe in a literal heaven and hell. Only one-tenth of all people in those churches, those 27%, believe being a disciple is important. So what I'm guessing of that 27%, I'm guessing 2.7% of our culture at best believes the right things about the gospel. I mean, heaven and hell are supposed to be baseline, right? I mean, we have whole denominations arguing of what, what you're born as. or Like, how is this even an argument? Men are men, women are women. I'm not saying people don't struggle, but how are these things even arguments? I'm saying, like, we were founded as a Christian nation. We're no longer that. The only way this changes is prayer. When we get together at five to seven in the morning, the last uh, three weeks on Wednesday, we're getting together at 5 a.m., and I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not gonna give up something that costs me nothing. I'm not gonna go pray for five minutes and think that it was enough. That we know Jesus wants to return. We know Jesus wants his kingdom established here on earth. And so some of us are like, we're not gonna give up something that costs me nothing. Whether we're on Zoom or in person, we're gonna pray our guts out because we believe that's our only move. And just like David, we're like, we're not just gonna do something and hope that, the, that other people at church are praying enough, that other people are gonna pray for our families, that other people are gonna pray for our church, that other people are gonna pray for our country. I wanna ask you, what are, what are you doing about it personally? And I'm not saying that you're not doing it, but I'm saying, what, what are we doing because I, I have to look myself in the eye. Like, I clearly like food too much. Seriously, like, I, I spend too much money on it. I spend too much time thinking about it. Ergo, I'm short for my weight. Uh, and it's like, you know, but it's like, the, but, there, but there's things in like our, our, our TV time, our, our drive, like just the, the things that we're consumed with. I'm not saying they're bad things, but man, set your minds on things above. I believe that this church has a tremendous calling on it. You've heard me say that a million times. But I also believe that if one can send 1,000 to flight, two, 10,000, three can send legions fleeing, what would happen if our Zoom prayer rooms, what would happen if our flow prayer, what would happen if that was our most well-attended meeting of the week? What kind of power would start emanating in our lives to stop plagues in the world around us? What if we took prayer as seriously as our, South, uh, like our Seoul South Korean brothers and sisters and the whole country? Like what would happen if we took prayer as seriously? Maybe we would see churches with 800,000 people that are being discipled. Maybe we would see our whole country change. That place was a ruin. And in a couple generations, it's one of the most thriving countries on the planet. And it's surrounded by a lot of unsavory uh, neighbors. Like what would happen if we prayed with that fervor and tenacity? I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you. What are you doing about your prayer game? 
What are you doing? Because listen, we can do all the things in the world, but if we're not willing to seek God in ways others don't, then we won't see him in ways others won't. We won't. And I want to see Jesus come, and I'm not trying to shame or push him. I'm just saying we have got a problem, and we're, we're bleeding out. The time to start talking about it's over. It's over. The time to start, hey, guys, this would be a good idea. Those times are over. Those times are past us. People are dying, literally. And it's either the Lord's hands off of us, or it's on us in a way that's not great. What we, We've got... We've got to do something. We've got to do something. Prayer is not just a have to, it's also a get to, but it's not just a get to, it's a have to. We see it's the way Jesus pursued his father. The thing that was different about Jesus' life and ministry was the way he prayed. Atmo said it when he spoke a couple weeks ago, uh, Apostle Mose said, that we, we can't do, we don't do the things publicly Jesus did because we don't do the things Jesus did privately. What did Jesus do privately? He prayed. He sought God. And he broke on the scene when the world was dark like it is now. And he offered hope and his answer was worship, <laughs> pray. Surrender, give up. You're the temple, you're the place I'm gonna offer my sacrifices. You're the place my, my presence is gonna dwell. Does your life, does my life look like a temple when we leave here the rest of the week? Does it look like a place God would want his glory to reside? Does it look like a place where his glory is supposed to emanate into all the nations on the earth? Mine doesn't always. Mine doesn't always. Sometimes it's so full of aloofness or anger or frustration or irritation or just silliness. And I'm not saying the kingdom of God's not fun because it is, but man, I, like, you gotta, I think we, we, can, we can play hard because we work hard. But we live in a world that just wants to play hard, right? And I think God's calling us as his people to like, Take this work of prayer seriously. So I encourage you in the next couple weeks leading up to Easter and Holy Week, what does it look like for you to set your mind on things above? And prayer can be really hard and it can be really weird and nebulous. Join other people. We'll show you how to do it. It might be hard for you to understand Understand the Bible. That's why we have house groups. Get in those and people will talk about the Bible with you. If you're coming to this church and you're not, and house groups and prayer are on your radar, I encourage you to rethink it. I encourage you to rethink why and ask God why. Why, why don't I, why, why won't I, why won't I jump all in, Jesus? And I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm, I mean, we're never gonna be. David wasn't perfect. I mean, this is a guy who's a checkered past, but he's like, I'm not gonna give up something that cost me nothing. I'm not gonna ask God to do something and then not my, make myself available for him to do it through me. Are you available for God to do it through you? 
Are you available to God to be the answer to the prayer that you're asking? Like, Jesus, change our nation. Here I am, send me. Because a lot of us would prefer, I prefer Marco to do it. Or Gary, or Jerry, or I prefer them to do it, but not me, God. I would love it if Don goes and does it, but I, I like that. You know, Carla prays, but I, I don't know about me. Are you willing to be the one? Our brothers and sisters, these intercessors, are willing to be the ones. And they said, we need to give back to God and to these people which was given to us. We're gonna uh, close with a video and then with prayer, I want you to watch us. We are a nation in desperate need of spiritual awakening with a church equally in need of revival. And despite multiple wake-up calls, threats to religious liberty, a view of the church as non-essential and increasingly divided nation, a post-Christian culture. Our prayer meetings are still, well, passe and prayer passionless. But you know what? We've been here before. 200 years ago, our colleges and universities created to train preachers had become spiritually cold. Chief Justice John Marshall believed the churches were too weak to save the nation. And then came the second great awakening. Camp meetings gave birth to fresh renewal movements. A century before, the halfway covenant and a spirit of greed and self-interest had gripped the colonies. And then came Wesley and Whitfield and the first great awakening. We need another spiritual awakening. Last year, Hundreds of intercessors came to America from one of South Korea's premier churches. Prayer teams prayed for this nation from Washington State to Miami, from Azusa Street in L.A. to Maine, and in places in between. In early May of 2023, these teams will return, this time to 40 USA cities. Fifty years ago, their country, South Korea, was transformed from a war-ravaged, divided, poverty-stricken land into a robust Christian nation. The difference? A Billy Graham crusade, the largest in history, with three million people became the catalyst for a national change. Dr. Nam Soo Chow, the global leader of the Korea-based World School of Prayer and pastor of a megachurch, said to me, America has been so good to South Korea. You sent missionaries, support, assistance, even your military. And South Korea became a free democratic beacon in Asia, the 10th largest economy in the world, home to some of the largest Christian churches on the face of the earth. And now you need our help. And the greatest gift we can give you is prayer. So May 3 through 8, 2023, the weekend of the National Day of Prayer, 40 teams from South Korea will come to America to pray. 40 cities will host teams to pray for the nation. And during this entire month, 
May 2023. We're asking believers to pray for the nation. And from Wednesday, May 24th to Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, May 28th, we're asking churches to open their doors for prayer. Prayer for the nation. And then on June 3, leaders will gather in Seoul, Korea to celebrate how God changed that nation. And we will be praying that he will change our nation as well. May 3 through 7, the Korean Prayer Project. May 24 through 28, America's Prayer Meeting Revival Week. May 2023, a month of prayer for spiritual awakening culminating on Pentecost Sunday. Don't miss these opportunities to mobilize prayer in your congregation and across your city. Join America's prayer meeting movement. Well, hey, we're just gonna worship for a few, but then I really, you know, if, if you're like, here I am, send me. We're gonna pray, and I encourage you not to leave today. It might, it might take a few minutes, but we don't wanna give up something that costs us nothing. If you feel compelled today, if you like just need to repent, maybe for a prayerless life or maybe a lack of fervor, or maybe you still love Jesus with the passion we're talking about, we wanna pray today. We don't wanna leave today and just treat this like it's some other Sunday. 